speaking God's word to us today is uh, Pastor John Bilesma, and uh, John is uh, what we call Pastor Emeritus around here. He's finally known as Pastor John. I think it was about 25 years ago that, uh, that he retired from ministry in this church, and he is uh, still getting out there and preaching. And so we welcome John to our pulpit this morning, and uh, John, would you please come forward and bring God's word to us? Welcome. Well, good morning, and I will begin by saying a blessed Thanksgiving Day to all of you. It's difficult to relate to you exactly how I feel at this point. Like Pastor Peter said, it's over 25 years ago that I retired from the ministry of BCRC. And in all these days and years, the good Lord has kept me going and busy. And here I stand today, age 92 to be on this pulpit again of BCRC. So my heart is flooded with joy and thankfulness, and I hope yours is as well. I just want to say that uh, of late I've had a kind of fascination with the book of Psalms, kind of a renewed interest, you might say. And um, I plan to say something and share with you today some thoughts about the Psalms in general and also about Psalm 42 in particular. So we're going to proceed now with the reading of God's Word as it is recorded in Psalm 42, which I know is known to all of us. As the deer pans for streams of water, so my soul Hands for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitudes, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls unto deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and your breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. His night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
the Psalms have always held a warm spot in the hearts of God's people, mainly because they are filled with expressions of joy, worship, thanksgiving, and praise, relating to almost every issue and experience that may surface in human life. The Psalms tell us in poetic form and often in deep emotional tone how the faith of God's ancient people came to expression in times of adversity and in times of prosperity, in times of turmoil and in times of peace, in times when people felt abandoned by God, in times when they drew near to God in times of discouragement, and in times of hope. And the wonderful things about these psalms is that as we read them, they kind of draw us in, and they invite you and me to share every area of our lives with God, including our emotions and our feelings. The Hebrew word for psalms is praise. And that's essentially what the book is all about. Praise and thanksgiving and worship and adoration. If you have read the psalms or gone through it, you must have noticed that the body, the total body of psalms, is divided into five sections. They're called books, commonly. So you will see book one and book two and book three and down to or up to book five. And, and the wonderful thing about this division is that every one of these sections, every one of these books, ends with a, a wonderful doxology, spontaneous expression of praise from the grateful hearts of God people. So the first book ends with Psalm 41, which says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. The end of the second book is in Psalm 72. And it goes like this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And praise be to his glorious name, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And the other one, the next one, 89, Psalm 89, a short one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen. And then we have Psalm 106, which is the end of the fourth book. And that says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let God's people say, amen. And we all know the end of the fifth book, Psalm 150. After listing all the musical instruments to praise the Lord, the end says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. So the book is essentially a book of praise, a book of thankfulness, a book of worship, a book of adoring and enjoying God. That's what it is.
So this morning, I would like to encourage you and, and myself as well to read the book of Psalms a lot. And I would like to make two observations. The first one is that I think when we read the book of Psalms, we should always read it aloud. Even if you sit by yourself in your room or wherever it may be, and you're going to read one of the Psalms, speak loudly. Speak it out. I think that we can take a lesson from our Jewish friends in this. They always read the Torah aloud. They read God's word aloud. And they have a biblical basis for this because they always point us to the creation account. God spoke the world, the universe, into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. And Adam and Eve appeared on the scene. God had a plan for creation, but he spoke it in reality. And our Jewish friends say, if God spoke at the time of creation and proved that his words were so effective and so powerful and so creative, we should do no less when we read the Psalms, read them aloud. So I have to encourage myself and I'm going to encourage you to do the same and try it. I think your souls will be stirred and your faith will be, will be lifted. And then the second thing that I would like to mention about the Psalms is read it frequently, the book of Psalms. And when you read it frequently, try to remember some of the things that you read there are so many wonderful, wonderful nuggets, so many wonderful treasures in the Psalms that we should really store away in our hearts and in our souls. I mean, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of darkness, deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then you have some more wonderful psalms. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Our God is gracious and compassionate, filled with mercy. He will not always accuse, neither will he harbor his anger forever, says the Bible. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is removed from the west, so far has he removed our sins, our transgressions from us. There are a lot more that we can really store away. And if we do that, you know what's going to happen? Those psalms are going to lodge in your heart. And they're not going to be dead there. They're going to be stirring. They're going to be sprouting. They're going to be blossoming. And then if you go through life, or when you go through life, and walk 
over the hills and through the valleys, have times of darkness and times of light, and look to the Lord, what will happen is that the Holy Spirit will come and will activate those psalms that you have stored in your heart, and you will come up and say either, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, or you'll say, My soul rests in you, God, in times of trouble. So two things. Read them aloud and store them away. They will live there. It will become part of you. It will become a power in you. That's why the Psalms are so precious. When we read Psalm 42, you must have noticed that the man who is featured in this psalm, this song, was not exactly a happy camper. He was hurting. He was hurting badly. His soul was in turmoil. And as we proceed reading in the psalm, we find out why. He says, I remember how I used to go with the multitudes to the house of the Lord, leading the procession to the house of God amid festive throng songs of praise and thanksgiving. So this man at one time was a worship leader. He was maybe a choir master in the great Levitical and temple choirs. And then something happened. There was some kind of an incursion, and he was taken captive, and he was led into exile. And now he finds himself not amid the throng shouting hallelujah and praise to God, but among the animals who were quenching for thirst, thirsty, especially after being hunted. And he's surrounded by people who laugh at him and ridicule where, where is your God, man? He says, my tears have been my food day and night. And I'm so discouraged. I'm so down. My soul is an uproar, but my soul is discouraged. Oh, God, I can't take this any longer. And then he says, why? Why have you rejected me? Why do I have to go mourning instead of singing your praises? Why do I have to go mourning about the, amidst my impressors every day? Why? How? That leads me to say something else about the Psalms. Among those Psalms that we have mentioned, the Psalms of praise and so on, there are quite a number of what we call songs of lament. And lament is an ancient word, but it means to speak from severe pain, to speak out when we are disturbed, when the soul is in turmoil, when it really hurts, crying out to God, Lord, where are you? Why is this happening to me? When is it going to change? Struggling. Psalms of lament. And 
in many of the years that I've been retired, over 20, I have not done a lot of baptisms like Pastor Peter. My man Paul didn't either, so for that matter. But my wife informed me just this week, I've done 130 funerals in the time of my retirement. And I've stood with people whose souls were in turmoil, who were discouraged, who had pain. My own life was indelibly marked, if I may say so, as a young man, by what happened in the Second World War when we, still living in Holland at the time, were occupied by the Nazis. It was bad enough in my own family where the house got ransacked twice, where all of us sat at gunpoint for three hours at the time while they were searching, where my dad was beaten up and blood all over the place and put in prison. But that was really nothing compared to what happened to our Jewish friends. There were a lot of Jews in Holland, 140,000 people, 140,000 Jews before the World War. There were about 30,000 left. That means that over 100,000 had been arrested, had been shipped in cattle cars to the death camps and faced a horrible death. And I'm saying this because there was a record today that says that the Hasidic Jews, when they were driven to the crematorium and faced a horrendous death, were singing the Psalms. Psalms of lament. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my cry. That's how they went to a horrendous death. And that's how Jesus went to his death. We don't often notice it, but in a couple of the Gospels, it says at the end of the Passover, when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And we knew what they sang. They sang the Hallel. So when at the end of the Passover feast, they sang, Jesus sang of his own death. The cords of death have entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I'm overwhelmed by trouble and sorrow. Oh, Lord, save me. Jesus sang those words before he went to the cross. And he faced a horrendous death, as you know, bearing the burden of the world's sin, engaging the forces of evil in a face-and-face conflict bearing the pain of death and of the grave. But then, if you read on, he also sang of his resurrection and his victory. The stone rejected of the builders is made the head of the corner. It's the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful in our eyes. And I shall not die, but I shall live. 
Those were the words of Jesus. But on the cross, he also said, why? He spoke seven words. It's the only one that's questioned. It's the only one that's retained in Aramaic. Eli Lama Sabachthani. The only one. Why have you forsaken me? We have just come through or are still in a pandemic which has brought a lot of destruction and separation and suffering and death. A lot of it. I just read the other day that 29% of the world population has suffered the loss of at least one or two loved ones due to the pandemic. There's been a lot, a lot of crying out to the Lord in that time. A lot. Why? Souls in turmoil, disturbed, discouraged, crying out to God. And perhaps that has been your lot as well. It's difficult to talk about that. But let me say just three things which I've learned from my reading. The first one is that these questions, why, O oh God, and when and how long, O oh God, that are pressed out of a hurting heart and soul, are always addressed to God, never to people, never to sages, never to a prophet or a priest, but always to God. As an acknowledgement, really, that we're so deep in trouble and that we're so troubled in soul and mind and heart that only God can really help us. Only God can really take us out of that predicament. We need God more than anyone else. And the second remark is this. Those questions, when and how and why, are never answered in the Psalms. They're never answered. Those questions remain questions. And the answers to those questions are hidden in the heart of God, and that's where we are going to have to leave them. They're in a good place. They're in the heart of a loving God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God and the things revealed to us and to our children. That's also true when we are really troubled. And the third one is the psalms that are songs of lament never end. They never end with how long, O oh Lord, why, O oh Lord. They always end in some kind of a praise, like this one here. It says, Lord, I am poor and needy. But I will praise you. My Savior and my God. That's how they end. Several times in the psalm, it says, why are you cast down? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. And people come to that, that moment when they see no way through and no way out 
and only began to see God as a helper, as the one who can hold, take hold of us and change things and redeem us and deliver us. I think that one of the finest psalms and one of my favorites for a long time is Psalm 73. It relates to this one. Psalm 73 is about a man who, who once had a very strong faith in God and he said, God is good to Israel. He's a good God. But then he fell into a period of doubt and questioning because he could see no difference in the way God treated the righteous and the unrighteous. The promise of God was that the righteous would prosper and the wicked would be punished. But when he looked at the world around him, he saw it was just the, the opposite way. The people who defied God, who didn't push them out of their lives, who wanted nothing to do with them, they had the best time. They were healthy, they were strong, they had parties, they enjoyed themselves all the time. And the righteous, those who prayed, they suffered, went through a lot of evil and difficult times. And so he said, makes no sense. He said, I've washed my hands in innocent people. It, it was all for nothing, this business of fearing God and leaning on his promises. Until one day he went to the house of God and he went to the word of God, let's put it this way. And then his perspective was changed because he saw that those who defy God and push him out of their lives really have nothing to look forward to at the end. Nothing. All their riches will go. All their parties will go. All their wealth and money, it will all go. But the righteous, who've gone through a period of suffering and trial and testing, will be with the Lord. There's hope there. And I love, love the end of that psalm because when after all those struggles, he comes out and he says, I'm, I'm still with you, God. I'm still with you in spite of everything. I was senseless and ignorant, but I'm still with you. And then he states the reason for that because he says, you are holding my right hand. You guide me according to your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. So whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh falter, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. And here lies the answer. You and I struggle. And when we don't have any answers for why, and when we feel abandoned by God, God is holding our hand. And God will never, ever let go of you and of me. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God will always, always hold on to us. Never let us go, no matter, no matter how much we struggle. And he guides us with his counsel, which is a counsel of love, which is for our good. He directs our way. And finally, you get to the end, you get to see 
There's nobody more desirable. There was nobody more beautiful. There's no more, nobody more worthy than, than God. And to have him in life, that is the greatest. There's nothing else that nearly we can desire. God is all in all. God is the one who loves me, who serves me, who delivers me. He will take me to himself. He's my God. Not because I held on to him, but because he held on to me and never, never let go. And that's where the hope is. So I would like to say one of the big words for Thanksgiving Day is remember. This man says, I remember how I used to go with the multitudes leading the procession to the house of God, multitudes of people, shouts of joy and victory, worship and praise. I remember that. And if you read through the Old Testament, you will find that God is constantly telling his people, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and I delivered you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I chose you not because you were so strong. I chose you not because you were so smart, so decent, so great. You're a bunch of slaves. I chose you because I love you. I love you with an everlasting love that will never go away. And always recall the people in their history, when they questioned God and they forsook God and they pushed him out of their lives and they worshipped other gods, God always says, go back to that time when I delivered you, when you were nothing, but I loved you and because I loved you, I took care of you, I delivered you, I took you through the sea, I took you through the wilderness, I took you into the promised land. I made covenant with you, I'm your God. You're loving God, and you're mine forever. Love God. Love me. And God is the same with us today. When you think of what shall we be thankful for today? Well, there are all kinds of stuff that we, we can be thankful for. We, we are blessed beyond, beyond description, really. But God says... If you really want to be thankful, go to Calvary. Go to the cross and the empty tomb. That's how much God loved you. That's how he reached out to save you. That's why he held your hand and never let go of you. Because of Jesus on the cross. And I want to say something about that I love the gospel according to St. John. And Paul somewhere says, you know, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, and he mentions some. But John, John begins his gospel with an eternal perspective. And John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him wasn't anything made that has been made. And the word became flesh. And tabernacled, dwelt among us. And John says, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he says this, and from that fullness we have all received one blessing after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. It's like the waves of a mighty ocean rolling in with blessings and yet never being exhausted. That's what Jesus has done for us at Calvary and rising again from the dead. We have riches untold. And now God wants us to leap into that riches. It's Thanksgiving Day. I think that I'm not wrong when I say that most of us, if not all of us, will have a, a sumptuous meal today with all the trimmings and all the extras. That's what God has given us in Christ. All the trimmings, all the extras, everything, everything. So God doesn't want us to walk around like cheese and cracker Christians or progressive soup Christians. God's got a lot, lot more in store for us in Christ. And you want to see something of greatness? Look at the book of Hebrews. For 1,500 years, people had been worshiping God, bringing animals, slaughtering them, going to the temple. Thousands and thousands of animals, rivers of blood flowing for thousands of years, 1,500 years. Year after year after year after year again. And then came Jesus. And by one sacrifice, one sacrifice, that whole colossal system of the Old Testament became obsolete. Now, if that isn't hard to understand, if that isn't stunning, for 1,500 years the people had been worshipping and slaughtering animals and blood flowing, over and over and over and over again, and then comes Jesus and one sacrifice that all becomes obsolete for worship. That's, <laughs> that's what Christ did. We, we don't have to walk around with any guilt. Jesus has taken care of that. We don't have to walk around with any bad feelings. Well, I should have done this or I should not have done that. Jesus has taken care of that. We don't have to walk around with a guilty conscience. Jesus has taken care of that. God wants us to live with that sense of freedom. We are delivered. We have everything in Christ. We can celebrate. We can give thanks. So in that light, I say to you all, Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy Jesus at your table today. Make him your guest of honor. In the name of Christ, the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the unsearchable riches that is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. And forgive us for not always remembering it and living into the reality of the riches that we have and the generosity and loving kindness that you show to us the fact is that we stand by grace. Whether we live, we live by grace, and whether we die, we die by grace, and whether we live or die, we stand in the grace of God. That, Lord, calls for thanksgiving. Your free, undeserved grace brought to us in Christ Jesus. Of him and through him and unto him are all things to you, Lord, be the glory. Amen.